and I'm Ashley, and, and this we're is Celebrity, Celebrity Memoir Book Club. This Sing is or it, we are, sister. This is or we are. This is. All right. I guess first things up. Our new thing is to thank the people who reviewed us, and then to absolutely demolish the haters. <laughs> so I love Fagsy. I mean, you should be canceled and sent to hell. <laughs> I love Fagsy. Says, get to the point. Banter is way oh. too long in the beginning. I thought you were saying that you loved them. And I was like, we don't love them. They gave us a bad review. No, their name is I Love Fagsy. Um, yeah, that's the fucking podcast. And I cannot get it through your twerpy, dumb little worm for brain skulls <laughs> that if you don't like it, we literally don't owe you anything. If anything, you owe us something because we went into debt to make this podcast for you. <laughs> if you don't want to listen, don't fucking listen. It's not my dream to sit here and regurgitate bullshit facts about people I hate. That is these celebrities. It's my job to do. Okay, honestly, it is my job to do people's like expenses and stuff. I'm not getting paid for this at all. But it's like if you don't like it, then don't listen. There's actually other celebrity memoir book clubs that you could like download and listen. Like we don't owe you anything. Don't also, listen if you hate it. I hate you. Can I say something that I take issue with is you saying that this person has worms for brains because as a diehard squirmy worm, a bookworm for the centuries, I think having a worm brain is a good thing. And you, ma'am, have snails for brains. <laughs> yeah. Or boy. Or sir. <laughs> if you're new here, look, I'm not normally this angry. Yes, I am. I'm pretty angry all the time. But I cannot express it hard enough. If you're here just to talk about the book, either roll forward or leave. That's not our shtick. It'll never be our shtick. We don't need to do it. We don't like, speak linearly or circularly. <laughs> we don't. We barely speak at all. We're mostly mumbly gumbling. <laughs> anyway, on from that because we don't need to give more attention to the but snail I just brain do, like, haters. Don't waste deserve. your time if you if you don't want to hear two BFFs just chit chat and laugh and talk about the hardships of life. Then get out of here. Okay, so a shout out to Nesquik one hundred and one. Angel. And Samantha Sweetheart. Samantha Sweetheart. Fun name. No thanks to Ashley Lanchi, except for the fact that saying the reason you don't like us is because we hate short people is very funny to me. Because, my God, I do not like short people. <laughs> okay. Um, also, it turns out there's secret um, reviews that we've never seen before that only show up on my boyfriend's phone for some reason. And so to 8KVL, thank you for thinking we're a great podcast. You literally said, could you do Demi Moore's memoir next and we are so yeah next week baby stay tuned and then sarah jane g7 um the only complaint is there aren't more episodes we're working on it we're working on it right now thank you so much for listening and same then, with the same with the previous one and then stay Mick, tuned mickey speaks the truth <laughs> that's my boyfriend thank you baby i love you mickey mickey that's like what his parents call him they call him mickey that's cute yeah um anyway ashley how was your week Okay. On to the part that the people hate, but we don't <laughs> care because we have to stay true to ourselves. Sorry, we're not sellouts. I think the snails for brains hate it and the worms for brains love it. And we love worms. Um, Squirmy okay. wormies. Anyway. Ashley, how was your week? Did anything unexpected happen? Did you get any texts from people you didn't see coming? Okay, so if you would like to ask me to title my memoir, I would call it Boo. Bitch, I'm a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Love a TikTok reference. Which is a TikTok reference for the TikTok listeners. Um, also, it is a reference to the fact that... Um, uh, a prominent member, a prominent character of my past texted me out of the blue on Friday night. And as much as I, okay, so I had a very uneventful week and then all of a sudden a text that shook me like lightning, baby. I got a text from Matthew who longtime listeners will know is my ex-boyfriend. We had a, some would say tumultuous relationship that is heavily chronicled on our previous podcast. We're in a fight with Claire and Ashley. And in September, which you can learn from listening to our Patreon, we stopped speaking forever. We broke up in August and in September we made the decision to never speak again. And by we made the decision, I mean he told me that he could never speak to me again. And much like a liar, he did I believe I said me. it back when I said, <laughs> if Matt is anything, he is an, a deeply unself-aware hypocrite. Yeah, and I, I just, I wish the best for him. But my God, getting a text from him like that, I honestly thought it was going to be mean. And it was very nice. It was just like about how he misses me and stuff. And I miss 
him like knowing what's up with him it really weirds me out that I just like don't know where he is or what he's doing or what he's up to or anything if you guys want more details than that um subscribe to the patreon also Mac actually had a prediction for what he thinks will happen next and I would love to put it on the patreon and see if it comes true okay I'm very curious because this is something that I also don't know I'm also gonna have to subscribe to the patreon to find (laughs) this out um anyway so yeah I will say getting that text from him really shook me up shook my little rattled my little bones um would you read the text on the patreon i was thinking that what if we did do a dramatic reading of it because i haven't heard it either and i kept wanting to ask this is how sick my brain is i thought it was too much of like a boundary crossing to ask if i could read the text he sent you but for some reason i don't think it's inappropriate for me to ask you to read it aloud for five (laughs) dollars i okay you guys i will i will do a dramatic reading of it on the patreon and it isn't bad it's just something that it's very emotional he loves emotions when he's having them, not when I'm having them. And, you know, I'm excited to see. I honestly haven't decided if I'm going to respond. Maybe we'll put a poll on the Patreon. Should I respond? Yes or no. And yeah, that is about about the summation of my week. Claire, how's yours? I would say this chapter in my memoir would actually get cut. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd say this is like I just had a genuinely uneventful week. Basically, we're back home working from home with my office. I guess they decided 200,000 Corona cases a day was enough for me to be a receptionist (laughs) from home. Um, Not a lot happened. As many of you know, I'm I don't know if actually any of you know, I'm obsessed with trying to find a a mid-century modern dresser that I buy at auction so that it's I do cheap. think how would they not know it's all you talk about um once again I was beat at auction for the dresser that I've now decided is actually the dresser of my dreams <laughs> I like really thought it would be the at first I was like I don't think anybody even wants this and I was like do I have the worst taste does this dresser suck it's so ugly that nobody even wants it I guess and then it went from the most expensive price I've seen so far on this website and I was just like I wake up every day and when the light comes through the window I think that was the dresser I needed it was <laughs> for those of you who want to know it was um a Johnson Carper fashion trend dresser with like white knobs in the middle. And then kind of like, it was like a little bit wavy on the side. Um, anyway, sure. It came with a mirror. I'm like really sad about it. I will say the only funny thing that happened is last night I was in a really weird mood. And so I sometimes just like to make myself cry and Mac (laughs) is really good to me. So it's hard to like get him into a spot where he makes me cry. So I have to kind of like finagle it. Um, with impossible questions that there are no good answers to. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. So so last night's How Do I Make Myself Cry was I asked Mac if he fell out of love with me. If one day he woke up and wasn't in love with me anymore, how long would it go on for before he would end our relationship? Um, I still think that he misunderstood the question. And so he said... he's like so you're saying like I woke up and just wasn't feeling it like how long would I just like absolutely not feel it and I was like yeah and he goes I guess like a month and I was like a month (laughs) a month I was like I did not like my ex-boyfriend for one minute and we dated for four years so I was gonna say I've had like a like I've eaten something weird and gotten a month-long tummy ache (laughs) (laughs) a month like that is I've dated guys that I'm not even in relationships with for a month that I didn't even like. And I just kept texting him for a month. Same. That's why I'm really proud of my new thing where I've not been dating people that I don't like. I'm really proud of you too. Um, I have a date tonight that I don't think I like. Well, I, there's only one way to know as long as you don't do it for a month, but I don't know. That made me so sad. Cause I was like, well, would you tell me so I could try to turn it around? And I was like, how long would it take for you to tell me that you weren't feeling things? He's like, I guess like a week. I was like, okay, so if one day you wake up and don't love me, you'll give it seven days. And if you still don't love me, I have three weeks to turn the ship around. (laughs) And then I started crying and he's like, why are you crying? And I'm like, I just feel like I kind of assume me and Mac will get married. I think that's safe to assume. And I'm like, unless, of course, there's one rough month. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, if he woke up tomorrow morning and didn't love me, like he would move out before our couch was send like he would move out before we got our couch delivered I actually don't think that he would because I do think he would see what alert she was leaving you in rent wise and he would live in the office and you would live in the bedroom and you guys would probably still live together for two to three months until you figured out a fair situation you think wait who do you think would get the office I think he would live in the office and you I would think live he in would the get bedroom. the big bedroom because he'd be paying more yeah but I think that like emotionally you would get the big bedroom like I think if he's like leaving you he would he would say, I'll sleep in the office. Wouldn't that be so funny if he like got a beanbag as his bed so that he could keep his giant desk for his new PC? 
<laughs> he was just sleeping on a beanbag like a dog <laughs> so that he had room for his PC because that bedroom is small. Um, anyway, but my point was, as I explained to him, I was like, if we got married and said we have 70 years left together, I just feel like in the course of 70 years, I can't have one bad month where I'm acting like a moody little bitch. I also think that now that you've added, this is what I'm saying is I don't think he understood the question because like once you add other life events into the situation, like I think that in the first year of your relationship, a month makes total sense. I think now that you guys live together, a month is a little steep. I think once you're married, you get like a year, right? I think you get like at least a year unless you're in like a pretty critical year where you need to like get yeah. a new husband and have a baby quick you know yeah, what I yeah, mean yeah, yeah like if you were like 32 and decided you weren't feeling it anymore like that's a pretty important year I feel like if like, you have kids you try for at least three years to fake it unless they like yeah. absolutely like if you but both, if you don't have kids yet and you're like uh, 32 and not really feeling yeah it, if you're like if you don't think this is going anywhere we have to bring like it cut it you know mm-hmm. but if you're like 41 uh-huh. give it a little time like what's the difference between being 41 and 43 anyway okay and then the other thing I did that hurt my feelings the other thing you did that hurt your own feelings. That's my move. Okay. I, like to, I like to make my, hurt my own feelings. I like to joke and joke and joke and then just start to cry because <laughs> the joke's not funny anymore. It just hurts me. Um, <laughs> You're sick. As I asked him, I was like, you would never cheat on me. And he was like, never. And I believe that. He would never cheat on me. And I, I also was, believe that. But I was like, what would you say is a contributing factor to that? And he was like, I don't know, because it's a shitty thing to do. And I was like, yeah, but like, do you think you never cheat on me because you love me or because it's in your personality or because it's just like a lot of work to leave the house. And he was like, all of those answers. And I was like, well, in what order? And he was like, (laughs) (laughs) and he goes one, two, three. And I go, no. (laughs) And he's like, what do you mean? No. And I was like, well, would you ever cheat on anyone? And he was like, no. And I was like, exactly. Mm -mm -mm. So reason number one is it's just not your personality. So that has nothing to do with me. That's an all (laughs) you thing. And he was just like, okay, I guess you're right, Claire. (laughs) He was like, I guess I wouldn't cheat on anybody. And I was like, so first and foremost, it's who you are. Secondly, because you love me. (laughs) And he was just like, I don't know what to do. I do think you're backing him into a weird corner. And the more times per month you do this, the sooner that month is going to come to you. (laughs) Well, what would you rather? Would you rather somebody who's cheated on everybody but you or somebody? Are you saying would would I rather date you or Mac? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I would rather someone who doesn't cheat on anybody but I would be happy either way not getting cheated on. See, I almost think I would, I'd rather me. I know you would. <laughs> That's why you keep asking this question. <laughs> I'm like, don't you think it's romantic that I've never treated anyone but you good? <laughs> it means I really love you. Yeah, but that also means he really loves you. I don't see that. He's never built a computer in someone else's That's in an true. apartment with a girlfriend that would be hard to move. That's true. Um, so I guess he, I guess our mom literally <laughs> built the thing he loves most into his house with you. The thing he loves second most. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's really true. When you think about it like that, um, he wanted to attach you guys so that together he could love you too more than anything <laughs> in the world. I wish I was that PC. I wish <laughs> PC stood for pretty Claire. <laughs> the thing's pretty Claire. <laughs> and you were regular Claire. <laughs> Oh my god, then it really is like I married my dad. I would dad. so much rather he cheat on you. <laughs> then call his computer pretty Claire. It's like Claire, but I love it. <laughs> um, it's oh like my Claire, but it never asks the hard questions. <laughs> you guys, we did something extracurricular this week. Even more than just reading books, we've also watched TV. (laughs) (laughs) This week, for educational purposes, we got very high, legal in New Jersey. (laughs) Um, We watched Glitter. Which you may know as... Hashtag justice for glitter. Here's... Okay. Our overall review is that if Mariah Carey had not tried to like pawn it off as a good film it would have been a cult classic I really think it really gave me like PG-13 showgirls vibes like the vibe with just like how weirdly like bright and 80s-esque it was supposed like I did not understand until halfway through the movie when one of the characters literally said it's the 80s that it was supposed to be the 80s but 
It just had that like weird. How could you not know it was the 80s when she had a side ponytail the whole time? I thought that that was just like a bad choice. (laughs) And it was. I've seen people do side ponytails in the 90s. Also, like, I've seen people not do side ponytails in the 80s, and I exactly. think they should have not done a side ponytail. We do want to say nice things first. Nice she things? is so beautiful in it. Whenever she's standing perfectly still, Claire and I would say to each other, she's so beautiful. I don't know why, really, but there's something very radiant. She, like, does have very beautiful skin, and she's very radiant. And she has this pose that she thinks is acting where she just opens her eyes really wide and is listening attentively. Um, and then she nods, and she, like, says a breathy yes or no the movie itself isn't honestly terrible there's like okay are we allowed to do spoilers it came out in 2001 yeah somebody like straight up gets shot at the end i don't know like there's no reason not to like it it's as good as a j-lo movie um which j-lo movie because it's also just like fuzzy it's like the girl who shot bitchnesses me and claire's failed web series shot it like it is there is something where like you can tell nobody knew what it was it seems like they thought it could be a serious movie and then they wanted it to be a rom-com and then somebody dies and then i don't really know what it was supposed to be but it wasn't the worst thing i'd ever seen i've definitely seen worse movies i watched the holiday twice (laughs) this season and i would say the holiday is worse yeah once again I think and like the way it's just so it's very campy it's very just like silly and weird and nonsensical like the way things move the timeline is baffling um and I just think that if she had been like this was like a silly weird project that I put way too much effort into oops everyone would have been like genius I will say I can confidently say now though that she was not a good actress in it she wasn't the she wasn't bad but she wasn't good. She was a singer who was doing the movie. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, she was not good. She was no worse than I'm sure Maddie Ziegler will be in as an autistic person. <laughs> it's really funny because thinking about it now. Okay, so my dad has this theory. I don't know if you guys have seen Cheaper by the Dozen. But my dad has this theory that Hillary Duff was like written into the movie. That like basically they obviously had 12. I used to yell at him and say she couldn't have been written into the movie. It's called Cheaper by the Dozen. They had to have had 12 kids. They couldn't have just added a 12th kid. It wasn't going to be cheaper by the 11. Um, and, but that would he be said, so funny. <laughs> but then he would always say that, no, her character, like, they probably didn't think they'd cast such a big fish for this random middle sister. And so as soon as they landed Hillary Duff, they were like, we need to add more lines to have her on screen more because the kids will love it, which he was right. I loved every second of it. But also her lines had nothing to do with anything that was ever happening in the movie. They were very definitely added in. With Mariah's character, I want to say the opposite. I think that they had a lot cut out. Her character literally does just stand there with her eyes wide in the corner while her boyfriend and the record execs and her friends, um, all of them do most of the talking. She's really just kind of either singing or standing. <laughs> And I think that they probably tried to have her act more and it didn't work. Yeah, she's a great singer, though. Like the amount of times that her boyfriend would just like carry, like just say a lot of stuff. And then she would say, yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's like her whole vibe. Yeah. Um, But all in all, worth a watch. Didn't need to cause a breakdown. Um, yeah, so we've definitely gotten a lot of comments on TikTok about the fact that she was almost definitely bipolar as hell, which would make sense because she is a very talented artist and they're all mentally ill. You know who else was bipolar? Uh, Kanye. Demi Moore's mom. Anyway, you guys, I'm so excited to do our final installment of the Mariah series. Wait, no. So what I was saying is that oh. people are saying that her like big old, like all that TRL stuff and the throwing plates at her mom's house and like all that was like that tail end of a manic episode that makes a lot of sense yes oh my god my heart goes out to her me too i hope she like got the help she needs i we love her a lot um which is why we're talking about her for a third time we're so excited to to bring our guest she's a hilarious comedian she's passed at the comedy cellar she's you've seen her on comedy central this week at the cellar oh my god give it up for britney carney Brittany, just like right off the bat, what were your thoughts before you even cracked this book? What were your thoughts on Mariah? Okay, I was really honored to be asked for this book specifically because I have warm childhood associations with the myth or legend of Mariah Carey uh, because I have vivid memories of dancing around to 
All I Want for Christmas yes. with my mom during Christmas. Like Beautiful. I don't think I have so many concrete memories of when I was like about four, mm-hmm. but I have one, which is that my parents had installed a like cardboard jungle gym thing in our living room and I was on it and holding hands with my mom dancing to the song. And every Christmas we listened to this album at some point. So yeah. I was really excited because I feel emotionally connected to Mariah Carey, but also cynical about the idea of this book because I was like, well, what, you know what I was thinking of like glitter. Yeah. I was thinking we just watched it this week. You did? Yeah. Yeah. It is something. (laughs) I don't think it's as bad as it needed to be, but she, I think for it to have soared, we think she should have let go of the idea. It was a great film and let it just be like a silly and like be kind of self-aware about it. Yeah. Just have it be like what I think it was perfect for teenagers who wanted to feel serious. It was kind of like, Oh yeah. yeah. Do you know what? I felt like it was something you could have watched the weekend before you watched fight club where you're like the music industry is dirty. (laughs) So I had this sort of like childhood association with her is this like uniquely, talented person and then and like legendary and then there was that kind of like wacky trl sort of phase right (laughs) which actually now i'm kind of into that like i love okay so she like even stylistically it's like the way that she began to dress when she got older and the way that she got kind of like sillier or something yeah i actually appreciate right now a lot yeah she loves making sure in this book she really like needs people to know that she's funny (laughs) right? Um, and that she has a sense of humor about stuff but I also I was gonna say like with the TRL and with all that stuff part of me thinks it would have been different in this current age of being able to connect with your fans whenever you want because she did also like pioneer that whole like writing letters to her fans on her website situation like really connecting directly with people pre-social media but if it had been during the age of social media, you know, she wouldn't have needed to crash TRL and have Carson involved and like have this whole, she could have like orchestrated her own like weird little Instagram live. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, that, and that's so true. And have such an unwavering fan base through Instagram live that yeah. would check in all the time. Right. She didn't need to rely on the industry to create this thing that she needed right. that they were not doing at the time. Also, we were just saying people have come out and said she's been bipolar uh, since diagnosed oh, with bipolar disorder. Yeah. And it does feel like, I mean, I don't think we're perfect as a society yet, but it seems like we're a little bit closer to being yes. forgiving of people's mental health issues. That was totally yeah. my next thought because it's like, now I think people would be more sensitive about making fun of her. Like, whether it's about mental health ableism or just like massage yeah you know what i mean yeah Yeah. i think that like the reaction were she to go through that now would be different totally totally i mean yeah people are so much more conscious now of i mean also we're just like not getting celebrity breakdowns in the same way because we're giving celebrities i i think i don't know i guess we'll get like a new era of memoirs in a couple years and find Mm -hmm. out for sure i kind of want to believe based on how many celebrities like kind of disappear for a year or so that we're like letting people have breaks right right you know? right 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 like maybe even the britney buzzing head thing would have been yeah. different now yeah i think well if you look at selena gomez they really yeah. got her out of the public eye i was gonna oh. say i think selena gomez the fact that we do not see her for eight months at a time is right. proof that we're getting there <laughs> yeah or like amanda vine God. Well, that's a whole other <laughs> thing because she... That's a funny, ex- like, exact uh, case study of the opposite of what we're saying where yeah. Twitter really did not help her conceal her mental illness. Oh, <laughs> but damn. Do you remember when she, she was tweeting that crazy stuff? She was like, cra- I know that I'm going to... You're no, not but, allowed to say that anymore, but whatever. When she was you, like, Drake, I want Drake to murder my pussy. Yeah. <laughs> what? She said vagina. She oh. said vagina. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine, I guess. Um, <laughs> she... She said, I want Drake to murder my vagina. Yep. On Twitter. That's hilarious. And people got really mad. And then every time someone would tweet at her being like, you need to get help. She would be like, you're so ugly. (laughs) 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 And then like other celebrities would speak out about her. Not even honestly, from what I know about entertainment journalism, not in any way out of turn. But, you know, they only play the soundbite. So like, I'm sure a journalist was saying, what do you think about what's going on with Amanda Bynes? And then a celebrity would say, like, I really hope she gets help. And then she would tweet, so-and-so is ugly. 
<laughs> I'm gonna adopt that. I'm next. I was at a show last night where nobody laughed at any of my jokes, and I wish I just looked them all in the face like, and said, "What's your name, Eric? Eric, you're ugly." <laughs> I think there's something so cutting and funny about that. Even it's so funny. Um, I mean, that's my theory: is like using dramatic insults. I think doesn't land, and I think when you really dumb it down and say, like, literally, like, "Are you dumb?" That's the meanest thing you could say to someone. Like, "You're ugly. You're dumb." Yeah. It yeah, hurt, it cuts. Okay, it cuts. there's a reason we have those words, and they're to hurt. And that's what makes people like get thrown off, where they're like, "Oh, uh, uh, yeah." Because yeah. <laughs> well, what, what can you say? No, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But anyway, Mariah. Mariah, I really love Mariah Carey, and yeah, so I feel like there was this phase of her, um, uh, her celebrityhood that I like. Either was like getting into that zeitgeist of like oh what's going on with Mariah like ugh. but now actually as a more elevated adult mm-hmm. I'm like really into her vibe you know that song that's like um wait, wait, wait. it's like a more recent song <laughs> but like in the past 10 years it's like she like mentions YouTube on it oh if, um is it like touch my body touch my body and yes. like I think Nick Cannon is in the music video no I think she, was she wanted him, him to she be wa- she was with him she wanted him to be but it was Jack McBriar from 30 yes, Rock yes 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 <laughs> How funny is that? I mean, that, that really is, funny. is so funny. I, okay, so that song, it's like kind of funny and like a bit self-aware and silly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like... That's such a funny music video. He's like chasing her around with a Nerf gun. I feel like she's really also come into her like older body as well. Yeah, and it's she like, feels very yeah. sensual. It's like so sensual, like lots of tits and curves yeah. and it's like yeah. really lovely. She's I very like beautiful. Yeah. She's just so hot. And she also, is. oh, yeah, what I was going to say about um, All I Want for Christmas, because obviously it's Christmas time again. And so it's popping up everywhere. And every year, it's like one of those Christmas songs. I mean, I love Christmas music. As a Jewish person, I like get high on Christmas oh. cheer. I fucking love it. And the first, we talked about this a lot when we used to talk about Britney Spears, is that like it really is the first couple notes of a song that when the couple notes, the first couple notes like smack you in the face, it is like a recipe for a song that just goes to the next level and that song you hear the first two notes and you're like this is Christmas cheer straight to the veins and I love it (laughs) and you know what's so sweet it's like she wrote it for that she like literally wrote that song and she talks about in the book she wrote she was with her two gay uncles it was her only happy childhood memory was that she had these uncles who had a good Christmas and she was like I specifically wrote it with like a pared down piano with that child kind of like dingy um schroeder from peanuts type of piano so that people would feel that homey nostalgia and the fact that that's exactly what she was able to create for you like i really am blown away by the genius of her ability to create an emotion and a memory and like the fact that she did want to change touch people with that song the exact way it touched you right and here you are 20 years later being like i remember at four years old this song stuck out more than any of my previous memories so that moment and that's a, i actually have a, several thoughts threefold maybe my reaction <laughs> to this. one is that you're i really that passage really struck me because it was so interesting that she had this like one experience of a cozy christmas yeah and that that's what inspired that song and i sometimes think i'm like maybe just as an adult these days like i'll like or like even in just with friends or like dating and you like ask people about their families and their experiences is learning about how how other people's holiday vibes are and I realized that I feel very fortunate in my particular family's experience of Christmas whatever that means and like that it it was cozy or is sort of cozy and also referencing Schroeder that was really cute and nostalgic and that really struck me and then the second thing I want to say is that I had a spiritual experience related to that passage because literally I was in Black Swan which is a uh it's like a bar that's like a British pub and I was sitting in there reading the book (laughs) and I was reading that chapter when the song came on oh my god that was this weekend Mariah Carey summoned it she summoned it it felt like in relation to love actually yeah dare I say love actually cheapened that song maybe for it me might have. can i say i like have a very controversial take on love actually <laughs> okay, which okay. is i'm always like love actually that's actually not love i think that movie None has nothing it. to do with love no not yeah. one of those relationships they have 92 relationships in that film and not one of them is right. recognizable to me as a healthy relationship they're like i fell in love with my non-english speaking maid i'm a child yeah, with a crush yeah. or i'm like i cheat i'm like none of these people are or the I'm prime minister who's sexually assaulting an intern what kind of monica the, bullshit yeah yeah okay and, well it's a very <laughs> cute movie with a lot of british 
Jewish people that I hold dear. <laughs> I know that this is not popular, but I really do think that that movie. I think it's very I popular understand both to takes. not like that movie. But I, and I do like the movie, but I do get that it sucks. But I still, I, I feel like I understand both of your takes on this, like emotionally yeah. and politically. <laughs> and I think that, okay, that song becomes a Separate big, the like, art from the artist is what I'm saying. <laughs> and the artist is, is crime crying. and the art is hominess. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, okay, so Love actually uses that song as part of its like big mm-hmm. climax moment. And like, I think that when it came out and I was younger, it was like, wow, this is like, a cute Christmas movie. I think now, maybe it's just because I've seen it so many times, and I always just think of that like little girl and that scene, which wouldn't happen anymore or if ever, which is like the boy runs through security oh, in the airport. The airport. Yeah. my God, he, they would have been like, they're training the terrorists young. <laughs> and I can't. Yeah, I know. Oh my God, oh my God. Um, and I can't disassociate now the song from that scene sometimes but yeah i but then but the cool thing so my point is like it felt cinematic i was in this bar this weekend and reading that part and the song came on and i was like what the fuck it just felt like i was in a movie like yeah, the, like crazy. a like a b like a c-list uh you're like reading in the bar and the song comes on and then you like look up and you're like long lost love yeah. across the bar yeah you're home oh my god you go home for christmas, christmas from your big new york city hustle bustle comedian life and you're it's like a townie guy yeah because nobody there understands how important you are and you just want to get back to your boyfriend who's in finance yeah. and there he is your middle school crush he runs a farm now but <laughs> but he looks handsome as ever. And what comes across the radio? But your favorite Christmas song. And he says, leave your Peloton and come live with me. <laughs> and there's like really manufactured snow outside. Yeah. Of yeah. And then somebody <laughs> slips and it's comedic. And you, yeah. You're brought back to the scene. And all of a sudden you both rush and save this person. Oh, my God. Let's make the movie. Wow. <laughs> I would love wow. it. What is it called? Um, It's called All I Want for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's Wait, called All I Want a- for Britmas. <laughs> <laughs> the Britney Carney Christmas. That would be like a really tragic, like if my career goes anywhere, like 20 years after I become irrelevant. Like my. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh my God. And not only because 20 years after you're irrelevant, you'd yeah. be allowed to play like the dead grandma. They'd be like, I'm yeah. sorry, are you over 40? You could play a skeleton who comes back to ha- haunt the hot young people. <laughs> a girl can dream. Um, so those are my three thoughts basically about, well, that song. Is that yeah. I had this moment. I also agree that I, I love the movie, but I don't like that scene in the movie because I hate when children sing. Me too. I don't like the, her, that whole scene where she, yeah. okay, yeah, because it's like And then she sings with like kind singing. of a grown-up voice and I'm just like, like I don't are you? like this. Yeah, but I, yeah, and then I think it's like hokey that it's like, but I guess a lot of warm holiday mm-hmm. movies like like yeah. end at like a school concert where they're yeah. like oh yeah. we're also the prime minister is here There's of so course like- <laughs> could you imagine if you were at a school concert and trump showed he up showed up he oh would God. stop oh the show he wait would- for a few years living in dc i worked at the american history smithsonian museum but like in this like children's space mm-hmm. and one day uh ivanka came with her kid and her kid's friend and it was this whole to do this must have been in 20 20- 17 oh so he was like in office yes oh my god and what happened is that um they had to close down like that wing of the museum and secret service were there and then a bunch of just like other moms and caretakers who were like bringing their kid to this play space in the museum had to leave and it was really surreal because it was like the first trump and the only since then even living in dc like the only trump that i've like encountered but i had to like greet ivanka That's trump and so i was crazy i love this, like, that she apron. like prevented other children from, from having learning. a playful education <laughs> right and it was I, that's literally what happened that's which what seems on bread do you want to hear something crazy when my mom moved to new york city in the 80s her first job was like working at the met in the gift shop or something teaching oh, art lessons and wow. she taught one of the trump brothers <gasps> Wow. So like that is I mean, for dumbass people, they certainly spent a lot of time at museums. She said he was like brain dead. It literally was like <laughs> I don't know. Okay, but that's cool because speaking of like New York in the eighties and like that's so I didn't think about Mariah Carey's history in New York as a child. Me either. She's and a New York so girl. And I love that because I relate to that a lot where I'm from Hoboken and Oh, 
Okay, cool. So for people who don't know, Hoboken's literally right across the river from Manhattan. Like I looked into it in my whole life. I always felt like I was so close to success, but like not there. You know what right. I mean? And in my, like my fantasy would be to like live the successful New York City life where I could have enough property to have a child here, which feels impossible. But I'm sure like, not. I really related to that in Mariah that she came to New York and she like has her penthouse in New York still. And this is where she's, I love a New York yeah. City based yeah. celebrity. I think they're all in LA, but I like it when they're in New York. It's Me really fascinating. Too. I mean, all the celebrities who stay in New York are so much cooler and more low yes. key than the ones who yeah. like live in LA and then feel the need to like buy an estate in like Wyoming because that is they're, they're like we safe. have to get out of LA sometimes whereas like the Manhattan celebrities are just like I'm a Manhattan celebrity and like sometimes I go to the Hamptons or whatever but like there's it, just the truth about I mean I've like seen Alec yeah. Baldwin Katie Holmes is always she, just like bopping oh, around. She's around right yeah. or like even Erica Badu I just think like has a house in bed and apparently it's oh, just so kind cool. of like around my god or, I bet you it's the most incredible house I'm sure it's so I bet you it's like the cool dopest most there. beautifully like, decorated brownstone with like such cool art <laughs> exactly that's my that's my I bet you there's a banister that would like ruin my life yeah. it's so cool <laughs> and like interesting masks on the wall yes, yes yes oh my god like a plant like a 700 year old plant what? somehow coming out of a vase that yeah. I would just be like well this needs to be in a <laughs> this like, needs to be in, in a museum, museum. with yeah. the Trump yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the Trumps to okay. enjoy <laughs> um yeah so I thought something that was really interesting to me was like her talking about her relationship with different New York neighborhoods and even Brooklyn Heights. Yeah. And the I remember she said something about how in the, it's like in the 50s, it was like Bohemian Brooklyn Heights. But then at where what was it the 70s, which is when she was a child there, it was like if any place would be more forgiving for a mixed family, it would have been Brooklyn Heights yeah. at this time. Yes. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting because also like um, my as just somebody who's only lived in the city for two years almost is like my association with Brooklyn Heights is um, just like a pretty corporate, like yeah. fairly white. personality less white um, yeah. pocket like of very Brooklyn. fancy now. It's, yeah. It like, feels buttoned up. It feels like a buttoned, so buttoned up. up. It feels like a set of Brooklyn. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Right. They like, have a lot of keels. To me, they're keels. They're keels, keels, keels and a brick facing mortar shop but like totally. the outside is beautiful but it's like so clean that you're just like this doesn't feel like a real like it no, feels it like where you would film something like real new york but then like but it's not they right. would call cut <laughs> right, 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 right right it feels like it feels like northern virginia so i lived in dc for seven years before i'm coming here and like in northern virginia it's like essentially dc more or less but it yeah. has that same feeling of just pretty cookie cutter like what's apartment that building. like beautiful town in virginia like right across from dc i think it starts with Arl not, is it arlington alexandria alexandria it's more beautiful i feel like alexandria has also more like history alexandria i like walk around there i'm like well this is a perfect american city it is and i think it, i've never been yeah it's, it's architecturally it's all like 1700s it. like brick townhouses it's really lovely yeah Can you take me yeah. sometime yeah, let's go um, to Virginia. I Oh, yeah. So her life here, though, growing up, she really did bounce around a lot within one section. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, I right. feel like she moved a lot but from one part of Brooklyn to another and then to Long Island and then, like, to different parts of Brooklyn again. So, But it must have felt very hectic. And she said she moved 13 times. She, was, she would yeah. move 13. That's so... It sounds so traumatizing as a yes. child. Yeah. Right. Especially because, I mean, and it's so sad to think that they started in a place where she feels she could have been accepted for being a mixed race family. And instead they moved to Long Island, which I would say to this day is a very racist, like outward. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And not just racist, like we're all racist, but like racist in that they're like proud of it. Racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah, they moved yeah. to a very I racist see. area. Yeah. Um, there's something else she said that struck me in relation. I was gonna say. Go oh yeah, I was gonna say they moved to a very racist, but like also classist area where they like didn't have a lot of money, right. and so then she was like living in this like shack without clothes and shoes. Yeah, and that things. was really sad. So she was like, not only everything about her was something that was like not accepted where they were. <laughs> right, and that one line that she says about how people made fun of how she would cycle through like a few like three shirts or something yeah. was so. It's just so sad. Tragic. And something she said in this book really strikes me, which is that I think maybe she, this was still in her earlier home in Brooklyn Heights, but there was the idea that her mother, her white mother, would walk, a, like the idea of her walking ahead of the mixed kids and black father to secure safe, 
to, to like ensure security yes. like what would that mean for a black father yeah the masculine mm-hmm. i mean i think yeah it's like kind of emasculating. i was kind of shocked at like the honesty and insightfulness she had in the masculinity dynamic between her brother and her father and the fact that that was such a like a toxic dynamic dynamic yeah. between them and that they're both constantly trying to assert their dominance wait yeah. can i ask you a question was your sense that the my sense taking from what i read was like the brother was more of a toxic figure than her father what was your impression so i have a pretty strong impression of i feel like a lot of daughters do this where they are much harder on their mother than they are on their dad i feel like because her dad died before the book was written it was easier for her to forgive him i think because so much of her identity to me like reading the book was wrapped up in having her black side not be respected and like understood in her childhood and she blamed that on her mom a lot that she was able to forgive her father's like trespasses because she understood that so much came out of this pain he experienced from like growing up in like such a racist world and she was very forgiving I mean even I think Ashley even said she was like well the dad didn't do that much except for abandon them and I'm like what and he was a he was physically abusive. I always right, forget. Right, right. <laughs> but like, always I do think mind. that that's not a mistake that you forget that. I do feel like right. it's very quietly written in there. And she's like, he never did anything to me because by the time he moved out, I was still only two or three. But she does very kind of like quietly tuck her dad's problems away and talk about how much she admired and loved him for. But yeah. he did kind of abandon her hardcore. Right. That they had sense. one yeah. weekly meetup. And that he stopped showing up for. And he, right. you know what I mean, beat up the brother. Like She talks about the yes. police being called on their physical fight. Wait, you know yeah. what just happened with me? What you said is like shedding light on is that, yeah, that whole fight that she describes with like 12 cops and the brother and the father. Somehow, I wasn't even processing the dad's contribution to that. I was like, whoa, was the brother like really <laughs> angsty and couldn't process his yeah, feelings? Yeah, she is so kind. She's very easy on the father in the book, the way it's written. Yeah, yeah. totally. And, and I like yeah, forgot. Yeah, I do think we all fell for like, and I don't think she even consciously knows she's doing it. But I do think, one, it's because she relates so hard to her father because she feels that like her black half was not expressed or recognized the way she needed it to be. And in that sense, she really gives a lot of credence to that. And then also, I do think because he's dead, it's easier mm-hmm. right, to and be forgiving. because he died before her major. She talks a little bit about their relationship after her success. But, you know, the way the brother like, with trying to execute murder plots with blackmail like i don't think the dad black, at first i was like with blackmail but then i really m-a-i-l <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the brother was trying to blackmail her. very tricky we're talking about black men and then blackmail <laughs> <laughs> he used regular mail to get in touch <laughs> usps save the usps anyway uh-huh. um no no yeah. but i think that the way i also think yeah again it's easier to forgive someone when they're dead but it's also easier to forgive the fact he wasn't around for the stuff that like could have been extra controversial <laughs> do you know what i yes, mean yes when as she got older yeah and i think even my reaction to it comes like i don't have a brother and i have like a very present supportive black father despite his own relationship with like my grandfather who i've never met so yeah. i feel like that totally shaped my reaction to uh this thing this dynamic which is totally. like I don't have a like older brother like oh my god that sounds scary and weird that he was like mean and then the and then I'm like being uh I also feel sympathetic towards the dad but then uh, okay so then this other thing that she mentions which is an extremely heartbreaking moment was that you know that thing where it's like she had a friend her mom picked up a friend for like a play date yeah and the friend burst into tears when she saw the dad that was so sad yeah yeah I think that one thing that like really struck me like one thing that I think was really hard for her about being mixed is that she was very white passing. And so then people who were taught to be racist didn't know to be racist to her until they met her dad. And then, and like she would watch that realization like happen in people's eyes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which has got to be really harrowing. Yeah. And I'm sure that stuff happened a lot too when I was a kid. But the thing is that I was in Japan and like, just don't think I was that perceptive or I have <laughs> to that, you know, because I don't think I was like so I really yeah. I was just like, la, 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 I'm a kid. And I don't think that I was so aware of like the racism that my dad experienced. But he talks about it more like as I got older mm-hmm. and I have one random memory of like um, him, like obviously for like obvious historical reasons, Japan does not have the same um, civil rights laws that the U.S. does because we didn't have I mean, Japan didn't have like 
black channel label. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Heads up. <laughs> so so it's can be weird because then yeah. sometimes like independent vendors won't sell to foreigners or like whatever. And I remember that happened once to my dad. But I don't think I like really I, I, I that's the thing that struck me or just like her talking about seeing her dad experience racism and like really feel it is like I was like, Oh, I think I must have experienced that a bunch as a child, but I don't know if I really processed it <laughs> and it's like here i it's like i yeah i think i want to say it's not i want to say i obviously have literally no idea but i wonder if it's because you did have your dad was you said a warm and supportive and person. so supportive Do you yeah, know yeah, what yeah. i mean yeah. i think that having a loving family it's probably easier to be like life is good whereas yeah. if you're living her life where like everything is constant constantly a fight and then you're out in the world and people are mad at you and mad at your dad and racist towards your dad and I think that if he had constantly been at home being like everything sucks then you would have gone out in the world and seen what sucks right you I know? literally used to do a joke about how I know I've had an easy life because I can't remember any of it I'm <laughs> like you know what I mean like that, and I literally think about memoirs like this where I'm just like oh my god she's like talking about every minute she's of her childhood like pasta and I'm yeah. like and I'm like, did I the even pasta have a child? Like, I can't remember any of it. And I'm like, that's how I know it wasn't harrowing because none of it harrowed me. <laughs> Wait, that's really funny. And real, exactly. I have associations of Mariah with my childhood, but it's like, Positive ones, yeah. Positive, yeah. I don't remember much else. But then, um, wait, 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 okay. Two things occurred to me, which uh, one's related to the pasta scene, one's related to the, um, <laughs> I'm trying to like, oh, okay, more broadly, it's like, what's really uh, elucidating about this book is that it's like, I don't think as a little brown child that I ever thought about Mariah as like a black or brown person in me like a you know when yeah. you talk about representation yeah like I don't think where I ever filled that exactly for me in a way that I like made sense like I was like I oh no until this book that she was black I know that's I feel like that's gonna be no, really but, I, but I didn't know a lot about her I, yeah. I barely knew all the songs Same. that turned out to be hers I was like I didn't know that was a Mariah Carey song so I didn't know much about her and I was really shocked when I went to buy this book that it was under it's literally an Amazon as black American memoirs and I was like first of all I didn't know she was black then I was, I was like it's interesting to me that they'd put it here instead of under a celebrity memoir but now that i read wow. it i'm like oh it's because it's not a celebrity memoir it's about it race. is yeah. a celebrity it's, i mean it's a memoir about yeah race and family in america that's so true which is actually a really interesting surprise with this book yeah yeah the what was this is a little bit all over the place but you mentioned that pasta scene with her grandmother how she <laughs> ruined it with farm like craft parmesan cheese but yeah um you know okay this is my thing is that like the the description of asking for a snack and getting like a Ritz cracker actually just made me so interested. I just like really wanted Ritz crackers. She really <laughs> yeah. painted this like visceral experience yeah. of anticipating this well, so little even treat. That I think is such a, an interesting story of how her relationship with her father versus the relationship with her mother. So in this story, yeah. she would say she was hungry. She was six years old. They got like a meal a day at his house, which was this meal that he would slave over. Um, ugh, I probably should have no, said no, that. Okay. <laughs> right, right, right. No, but he would like spend all day cooking this pasta. Right, it was right, like right. The, a labor of love. Right. <laughs> but he was. He was in the kitchen all day working on this pasta. And she would like be, say like, could I have a snack? A lot of six-year-olds want snacks. And she would get a Ritz cracker. And she yeah. talks about like nibbling on the sides yeah, and like savoring it. And but also that's very like that's described almost as a an a testament to his discipline and his ability yes. like and she's like almost grateful for that Ritz cracker and like isn't this a cute quaint story whereas I do believe if that story had been her mom's story it would have then been an example of the scarcity and the yeah you're right negligence I think that's true too right and I do think I think it's like all three I really do feel like daughters have a hard time truly vilifying their fathers because I think and yeah. then I think on, and yeah. then I think it's the, then the other layers and I of, also yeah. do think it's just also Definitely. like a symptom of the way that we view parental roles yeah, exactly you know it's always you know when people say like dad is babysitting his own kid you know what I mean it's like right. we when a dad is just around the fact that he was making them this elaborate meal and like had a Ritz cracker to hand her is yeah. amazing work yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. like it, how impressive he could make pasta right <laughs> yeah whereas it, the mom is expected to like really anticipate and care for a child's needs at yeah. every second and 
Yeah. It's like that. It makes me think of that like trope in just like general commercials on TV where if it's like a dad serving their kid Cheerios, you're like, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Masculinity has evolved. (laughs) (laughs) We are so lucky to have a man that doesn't expect his children to starve. (laughs) Right. And so I think definitely that plays into like anybody's like reaction to that. And I also and then also relates to that um, thing she describes where like the dad oh she wants ice cream from an ice cream truck and he's like okay he like gets really serious about the language she uses Mm -hmm. like are you borrowing it or are you do you want it and it's like actually reading this i was like i'm sure there's a universe in which like whether or not this is even true it's like the idea is that if she said i'd want it maybe he would have just given it to her yeah but he was being like really intentional about her language and like expected her to pay her back it's like because he's a man i think maybe as the reader is more inclined to be like wow what an interesting uh yeah what's the word like responsibility teaching or like mm-hmm. financial education yeah no and i, yeah. and I do think it's interesting but i think it is like her truth i think this the childhood at least segment of the book was a very honest despi- the depiction of how she feels her childhood yeah was. and i do think yeah. that there are things i mean obviously there's things to fault her mother for but like I don't know. Maybe it is just because I was reading this book like truly from falling into the way she was writing it because I was so mad at the mom after I finished this book. Like it really fucks me up. That scene where she's talking about like eating that hot dog when her hair looked nice. The fact that she like had a mom who had mixed kids who never learned a thing about black hair. Like really. I I think that's really sad. Yeah. I was like this is not progressive for her. Just the fact that she like fell in love with a person of a different race. The fact that she like didn't acknowledge that her kid need a comb is really fucked up to me that was so striking actually because i feel like probably there were i think it seems like there was a lot of that too among mixed people from that generation yeah i think now there's like more Mm -hmm. awareness or like actually there's like i feel like there's like concretely more resources for white parents literally youtube literally (laughs) youtube and there's like so much of it on youtube yeah and yeah, that scene where she, like, talks about her aunts kind of getting into her, like, trying to do it. And then it doesn't really work because her hair isn't the same texture as theirs. Right. It was, like, whew, that was, like, yeah, really, it, like, really struck a, actually just, like, a chord with me. But also, like, maybe not not because I have a white mother who didn't know anything about it. That's not the case. It's just kind of, like her trying to like figure out her identity in relation to race and then like she didn't get to be part of this like one um category that made sense which is like little black girl like she didn't yeah yeah yeah. or and and i think the alienation from her siblings it was very interesting in that they did not believe that she also had a hard time and that yeah because what she was experiencing was unique to her and different than her siblings she really was like an island yeah. And I think that was like its own trauma was the fact that she didn't have an experience that was relatable to the people she knew. Right. Yeah. And like why it was so important that she met Derek Jeter. I feel right. like I feel like we talk about Nick Cannon being her sexual awakening. And I was like, Whoa. I almost think that Derek Jeter was like her racial awakening. Her racial yeah. Awakening. I think. That yeah. She sense. like never met anyone who had a similar experience to her until she was like, what, 28 and met Derek Jeter. Like, that's crazy. Which is really crazy. It's so hard to fathom. But I think that happened Maybe in general with a lot of people that are her age. Yes. And yeah. Mixed. And also her experience was, I talk a lot about how she went straight from her mom's house to, to her husband, Tommy Matola's house. Right. And so she went from her white mother's house to then like her white mother who didn't really let her express herself's house to Tommy Matola who didn't really let her express herself's right. house. And so maybe they were around. There were people for her to meet and relate to, but she wasn't allowed. She wasn't allowed and didn't yeah. get to engage that in any way. Yeah, like if she had just had an early 20s living in downtown New York, she probably would have had that awakening. Like she would have met people sooner. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, it's, like the way you said earlier that you're like, well, I had a great dad and like, I had a great childhood. Right. <laughs> and she was like, when I met Derek Jeter, I think she literally said she was like, oh, the problem my family wasn't just because we were like an interracial family. It was my family was the problem. <laughs> right, right, right. And right. it was important for her to learn that. But yeah. I had no real sense that Mariah had a difficult family although the other thing that occurs to me now is like maybe with like really uniquely talented people like mariah there's like it's a given that somehow something was going yes, on in yeah. their family background. i mean i will say reading all these memoirs for celebrities i'm like well i don't know that i'll be successful because i oh. really grew up in one like i had one <laughs> home mostly <laughs> and that seems like That's a pretty like a precursor so funny and so dark but it's true but it's like there is true. like how do you have a singular <laughs> drive like that i mean it is i'll tell you what 
if you if if we don't make it, it's our parents' fault. <laughs> <laughs> they loved us like idiots. Yeah, but it's the thing where it's like. I mean, how do you want something that badly? Like, I like at the end of the day, guess I just don't want it badly enough. <laughs> yeah, they didn't think about our futures. <laughs> well, Not for a I'm second, and yeah, it is that thing where like she, I had no idea that it was that bad or that it was bad at all. Honestly, I didn't know much about her. Yeah. Also, and I think that it's because she had this like trauma all throughout her life because like she obviously was always disappearing into her own little like fantasy world as like often is a symptom of trauma and so now she like writes these literally the song fantasy but like all of these songs are like she creates this like perfect depiction of like whatever emotion she like wants to be feeling because she knows how to like manifest it instead of just literally feel it yeah it's like she's an actress in her brain she's been able to like create which is like weird that then she wasn't a good actress yeah (laughs) which okay that scene with the cheese where her grandmother like her dad makes this you know pasta dish that's like really elegant with like the clams yeah and then the her grandmother like puts this like processed parmesan cheese on it and she screams like no and like runs away mm-hmm. it was hard for me to actually even believe that as the reader Same. i, I was had like, a hard what? time with that story yeah. that's so funny that's literally the story ashley said? was like i don't think this is a cute story <laughs> no it's actually just kind of annoying and i don't really get it because it's like <laughs> most kids just like shitty cheese yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like did not understand it and also i like don't understand anything about italian food and so like oh, fact yeah. that they like put She's like, you never do that. You never put Parmesan cheese on seafood pasta. And someone else, I said something. Was it you who said that? That you no, never. Mateo. Mateo. Was like, how'd you oh. Mateo Lane was like, you would never put Parmesan cheese on seafood pasta. And I was like, this is the first time hearing of Wait, this. Wait, what was Mateo's reaction to that scene? Did he like. He loved par- that scene because he liked a lot that there was like a weird Italian undercurrent. Oh, like where yeah. she couldn't express her black self she was allowed to be italian yeah <laughs> right and he was saying it's interesting because the dad made italian food and then she talks about of course being yeah. on long island and the first time she felt accepted with the hair situation mm. was with the guidettes which makes sense which makes sense because they have very thick hair yeah which was funny because so my mom has really really thick curly hair where's your mom from she's just like an irish girl oh, cool. yeah. but she has very thick yeah. um hair and it has like, a lot of texture to it and when i was younger mine was much more textured and I, like, had such hair struggles growing up. And I will oh. say, my mom, I grew up, like, watching her do, like, the wackiest shit to her. <laughs> and right, to, like, to, like, try to just tame, tame it. And I don't way, know if it's yeah. because she didn't, like, she didn't know. She should be using black products. That's something I know for sure now. Yeah. Um, but I, like, rem- have this memory of, like, being six and watching her put a uh, contact lens solution in her hair. And just, like, what? <laughs> Why? so bad for your hair. <laughs> but it was, like, she didn't know what to do. I don't know. She was just, like, you just got to get it down. And so I was, oh, like, wow. little with, like, this super thick hair. And I never knew what to do with it either. And I also had a mom who didn't know what to do with it either. Isn't that just, like, alcohol? What's in contact solution? I, I think it would no. really dry the fuck out of I would just dry your hair like no matter what the texture was. But her method was like, whatever's on hand, you just put it in. <laughs> and the thing is, is we both, I mean, she, her hair is like three times as thick as mine, but mm. it's like her hair was so thick, it just absorbed anything. I mean, she could put full, just like olive oil in her hair and you wouldn't even know. And so she was just like, like smoothing it out with Crisco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've always personally related. That blonde, long Blake Lively bullshit yeah. Yeah. is like a myth. <laughs> I, I will say it is like this weird thing that like has only come into my conscience like maybe I'm just too stupid but like I really would see people on TV and be like they just have beautiful hair and I have stupid frizzy hair like I've since started getting like keratin treatments and stuff oh yeah I literally was just like I just have hair that sucks and everyone else has hair that's good and then I like found out about extensions like it never occurred to me that I thought extensions were to just make your hair longer like I didn't know that it made it thick and luscious and beautiful yeah I just thought extensions if you have short hair but you want long hair you extension it it's wild how <laughs> pervasive then like beauty standards about hair are in just like across different pockets yeah. of society. Yeah. And I think even like, okay, here's my thing too about Mariah is like, I feel like, um, in, even on her Christmas album, she has curlier hair. I think she like yeah. presents as someone with curlier hair, right? Yeah. I would say probably for more than the past decade, I love how she like loves her older woman body and it's like really beautiful and curvy, but like, um, she have for, oh, maybe it was also just that style. Like the TRL time was like bone straight hair. Yeah. So I think I just had no sense of how she was black. 
Cause yeah. like yeah, and because yeah. her hair is like a little bit lighter too. It is anyway, it's and blonde, finer, yeah. finer naturally. I think so. Right. And so yeah, and she also talks about the way she would do her hair is because specifically her record label and Tommy Mottola wanted her to look like Italian. I think Italian because they didn't oh. want her to be presented as black. Like right. they, and so I think that that's why like as a business investment and a husband, he was basically just like, don't talk about your life i don't care <laughs> right and so then i think like after she left um sony is when she like started being able to like figure out how she wanted to be to and present herself yeah which is so i think now if young mariah came out with like mm-hmm. whatever hair texture she wanted yeah. it would just be oh up. people yeah. it would it would light up the scene it would it's really so funny to me think that like i was so embarrassed i didn't realize she was black until now and you're saying but it's like no it's not my our fault we were fed literally it was on I purpose mean, they, it was a de- by design that <laughs> yeah, they design. hit it <laughs> no it was like literally she talks about how sh- they said there's like a passage in the book where yeah. they say if she straightened her hair it made it look forcefully straightened so, and if oh. she wore it naturally it looked like natural hair and so then they would wave her hair so that it looked Italian, which yeah. is like doubly manufactured first, like for yeah. society. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like we can't. Oh God, the layers to that. I mean, the layers yeah. to that well, haircut. Like, <laughs> the layers her to her layers. <laughs> That's like an essay. <laughs> <laughs> layers of Mariah's layers. My God. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have any final um, thoughts, like your impressions oh. of Mariah post reading? Also, if or you want to keep any talking other about it, we can. I just don't. We don't want to like take. Oh up no, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think and I mentioned this uh, a little bit before we started talking for the podcast. Is that I definitely was intrigued and surprised by actually how thoughtful it was, or like how frankly um, of race this book is. Like, I didn't expect that. Right yeah. Either. And I really actually enjoyed the for the for the readers at home, uh, the visual part of it, which is those photographs. I really liked it. There's like a section in the book where there's just like, yeah, old photos. What I loved about it. And she has photos of her black grandmother and her dad and her mom. They're it's beautiful. Her husband. So I mean, her dad. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> gorgeous. he's really so handsome. handsome. I really <laughs> like them because I think they help me contextualize her as a young person yes and she's really cute and you like see her childhood you can kind of like see like there's like this like one photograph it's labeled me with the late bohemian pat who is her mother and so it's this like tall white woman with like long dark hair who's holding young mariah who looks like three or four on a on a swing and she has like kind of frizzy hair and like you can imagine her as this like little um what's the word kind of like sprightly whimsical child yeah that like a scampering youth scampering youth totally <laughs> she has like deep scampering youth energy which actually kind of <laughs> which comes through in her touch my body music video yeah to bring it, it back really around. does <laughs> i really am so we've talked about i like this is probably fucked up but i have a theory that she has been sexually assaulted more than she like lets on in this book in this oh. book she kind of acts like she isn't but if you look at her sexual relationships they don't really add up with, to us and ashley brought up the really good point that it's interesting she was writing all these love songs tommy and stuff yeah uh, and she yeah. was never in love and so i do think it's interesting when you talk about like whimsical and scampering and like she has such a deep creativity in her to have created i would almost call them dioramas of emotion in song and wow. the way wow. like, <laughs> thank you i was thinking about that earlier and i really wanted to get it in here but it's like with the songs between the lyrics and the production and the fact that she's like writing all of it in the way with her voice as an instrument to be able to create just these little like encapsulments of emotions that she hasn't necessarily experienced firsthand is so incredible Mm -hmm. like the meticulous detail that she's able to i mean that she had one good christmas and look at the way she's literally changed and changed christmas Christmas. (laughs) she actually really did yeah like that's an unbelievable power to have to be able to take to have just like a whiff of an emotional experience and be able to just understand it and recreate it and like and put it on people that first vocalization she does and all i went for christmas do you know what i'm talking like, about yeah. like, uh, you're like yeah. it like fills your body you're like oh fuck it's <laughs> it's christmas yeah, it's, get hard you're so excited over. yeah <laughs> 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 it's november 1st <laughs> yeah. i mean 
I was so impressed. I didn't. It's so funny because somebody at work, I was telling them about this book and how incredible it is and how I never gave her credit for being the songwriter she is. I just didn't know. Right. And I was like, she writes all her own songs. And this woman at work goes, well, not the Christmas one. And I was like, no, the Christmas one. Everything. It's so hard to believe. And I saw her even speak about it. And she says, a lot of people assume I didn't write that because it sounds so nostalgic and it sounds like a remake of a classic. But she goes, I wrote it to sound like a classic. And I'm like, yeah, God damn it, bitch. You're a genius. She's a genius. She is a genius. Wow. Uh, well, I mean, what's well? It's more to say than that. She's <laughs> a fucking genius, and I'm like, God yeah, bless that so she singular. got out of that. I'm God so glad. Bless. I think Mateo Lane said it, and he's like, he said, it's just so heartbreaking to see what she experienced as a child, and to know that she would go on to bring so much happiness to people. And I feel like that's such like a a sappy thing to say, but I mean, when you tell that story about being four and remember dancing with your yeah. parents, that's yes, like, it's insane that it's true. It's true. She brought so much happiness to people with her music. Oh my God, it's true. So true. Like I swear to God, my parents still have, you know, they have some structure somewhere in the living room where they have CDs that we like that they never yeah. use anymore. Yeah. But it's like there's the Mariah Carey Christmas CD in my parents' house that's like kind of cracked, but it's the one that was around. Yeah. My God. Yeah. And, well, this was a really, I think this, this was, was such, such a, a perfect end to our Mariah it's like chapter. Oh, thank no. you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. This, this was amazing. Like, oh. Do you want to plug anything? Do you have anything coming uh, up? I realize we never ask people to plug stuff anymore. And that's why I, we don't know how to oh, end Oh, yeah. It. I mean, it's also weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. Comedically Zoom shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I I have some I have a set coming out on Comedy Central, but I think that they're not airing it until February. So uh, for the moment, I'll just plug my Instagram, I guess, where I post about upcoming shows um, in the cold or online. Uh, it's Brit oh Brit Brittany B R I T T A N Y underscore uh, carnivore Brittany um, underscore carnivore. <laughs> Are you a carnivore? I am a carnivore, but I grew up in a vegetarian household. That's so interesting. interesting. I'm also a carnivore. But also, <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, if you follow her there, you'll f- know about the Comedy Central side. Um, it was like kind of interesting learning about how comedy productions of that kind are played out right now because it was like COVID compliant. Oh, weird. Yeah. Oh, my so, God. You did it during the COVID. Yeah. Exciting! Wow. It was like we had to You're get so good at comedy that you're getting booked <laughs> in a pandemic. I mean, for people. TV, when I say no. that we bring the best of the best to you guys on this <laughs> podcast, people were literally risking death to hear her jokes, <laughs> and we're bringing it to you in the safety of your car, probably. Yeah, or your <sighs> house, or your uh, walk dog walking experience. experience. <laughs> so thanks for having me. Guys. Enjoy that. Thank you so much for coming. Tell your Thank dog you. I say hi. Bye, guys.